1: Hello and welcome to All Stats Art, We a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the mutant strain of the podcast, here to ruin Christmas, and I'm joined by the Tier 4 of the podcast, Josh Hobbs. You can check in any time you like, but you can never leave. Josh, how are you doing?
2: I'm actually in Tier 4, uh, so so that's fun. Uh, I mean, I guess that half the country is going to be in
1: yeah, you're not special, mate. Come on.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing all right. I don't like people anyway, so it doesn't <laughs> bother me not going outside.
1: Yeah, I should just say, this is a bumper preview podcast episode where we'll be going through the exciting games of Leeds versus Burnley and Leeds versus West Bromwich Albion. So you've really picked a good one to come on, Josh. Um, but... Yeah let's get jumped into this because we've got obviously a couple of interviews with uh, opposition fans so without further ado I think we should just sort of get get on with it so um, first we'll talk about the Burnley game so the Burnley game is on Sunday and uh, I was lucky enough to speak to Jamie Smith who is a freelance journalist and Burnley fan and this is what he had to say about them. So Jamie hi how are you doing? Yeah not bad thanks you. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, It's been an interesting start of the season for Burnley, a lot of people were writing them off, but a win against Wolves and the narrative has shifted somewhat, so how would you describe the season so far for Burnley?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's almost been a season of two halves already, which is mad to say after what, 13, 14 (laughs) games, but we had a very, very concerning start, we had quite a few players injured, I'm sure we'll come on to the injuries later on, Um, and I'm not sure the... A bridge pre-season was really good for us when we have such a focus on stability and fitness in particular we didn't really look on it for a lot of games in the early weeks of the season Um, but the last few weeks we've got most of our best players back out on the pitch got back to the basics of what Dyches Burnley do really well solid defensive, um, work hard press the opposition, force mistakes all that kind of stuff that we've seen in the Premier League for years and years Um, and results have followed, I think the Wolves game was a a real sign of where Burnley are at now, and people who were writing us off as being as good as relegated a few weeks ago—the Robbie Savages et cetera, of the pundit world—are starting to look a little bit silly. Because I think I said after the Chelsea game, which was a real, real low point, because we just weren't in the game at all. I said we needed to recalibrate um, the way we were going about games, and I think we've done that. We've changed the shape a little bit. The personnel's obviously changed with injured players coming back so it's really now much more like the old Burnley by which I mean the season we finished 7th and then last season when we were in the top 10 again
1: Yeah just looking through the results um, the the teams that you've lost against have been teams who are all in the top 8 positions in the table as it stands uh, how much do you think the slow start was just down to the fact that you played better teams in the in that time period?
3: Yeah, I mean, until you flagged this up, I hadn't even noticed it, to be honest. Um, but it doesn't really surprise me. I think when we first got promoted, we did bloody a few noses of the big boys. We had wins like beating Man City at home when they were champions. um results against Man United and teams like that but recent seasons we've really struggled to get results in those games and especially like when we play Man City it's just a running joke now that we're going to lose 5-0 I think three seasons in a row or something we've lost 5-0 at the Etihad so there's clearly something mental there as well as the fact that Man City are quite a lot better than Burnley I think it's probably that straightforward <laughs> um, but we got a good point against Everton at home the other week so I think we can compete when we're on our day Um, But I think if you look at the wins that we've got in the last few seasons, we do tend to make sure we beat the teams that we need to finish above. Um, And although we only got a point at West Brom, um, I think there's signs with some of the results we've had recently. Beating Arsenal in the big six-pointer at the bottom, for example. (laughs) Um, I think it's a a real sign of what we do well that when we need to win a game, we usually do win.
1: You started the season with a postponed game against Manchester United. I was wondering if you thought that starting off a game behind everyone else already puts you under pressure from the off.
3: I don't think it made a difference to start with. In fact, like I say, with the the pre-season, maybe the extra week was beneficial. Um, But when you have a start that was then as bad as ours, the table suddenly looks a lot worse, doesn't it, when you've got that extra game. I think when you're struggling, you'd rather have points on the board than the game in hand. Um, It was quite interesting seeing... Oh, you're social talk about it, the same game in hand, saying that you felt Manchester United were in a false position, um, seemingly assuming that they'd beat Burnley, even though our record against United isn't terrible. We won at Old Trafford earlier this year. Um, so I think it did put a bit of pressure on after we had those bad results earlier in the season. I'm not sure it makes a difference now. It probably depends where they try and slot this game in, because especially with United being in Europe and having their Thursday nights on Channel 5 or whatever the European the Europa League's on these days there's probably not going to be many free midweeks for them coming up
1: You also started off with injuries to Ben Mee James Tarkovsky and Jack Cork amongst others how much of an impact did that have?
3: I think it had a big impact like I said um, earlier on I think we really struggled to put anything like our best 11 out on the pitch in the first few weeks of the season the team just didn't really look like a Burnley team Um, Ben Mee I don't think you can really understate his impact he's the captain of the team he leads the defence Um, And the first few weeks of the season, we didn't have me or Tarkovsky, so the centre-back partnership that we've been so reliant on for the last three, four seasons, we were relying on Kevin Long, who, as hard as he tries, he's not a Premier League defender. Um, Jimmy Dunn came in and played for the first time in the Premier League and did okay, but it's asking a lot for a young player to to make the step up. So I think having those two back has been a big difference. Jack Cork has been a big miss for me in midfield. I think he's one of the most underrated players if his type in the Premier League is sort of physical, box-to-boxy type midfielder, there's not that many of them around anymore, he's almost a bit of a throwback. Um, so I think we have missed Cork, even though Josh Brownell's done really well, deputising. Um, but I was just checking this before before we started recording, and with me, Tarkovsky, and Nick Pope in goal, because Pope missed the Man City game, we're unbeaten this season. So it does go to show that those players are very important. We've got a small squad. We don't really have quality cover in a lot of positions. So being able to put our best players out on the pitch has made an absolutely huge difference, especially when Dash likes to have his favourites and he likes to settle the 11. I think the last few games we've not made any changes, apart from one against Wolves when Ashley Barnes came back in. So normally you know what the 11 is going to be when people are fit. So the fact we've been able to do that in recent weeks has really been behind the upturning form.
1: A question that I ask all of our guests at the moment in um, the first tranche of games is how pleased they were with their transfer business in the summer, and just casting my eye down the, the list of players that Burnley brought in. Um, brought in a lot of players, but not a huge amount of um, a, a big names, so what do you make of the transfer window for Burnley?
3: Yeah, it's like a what transfer business, right? <laughs> There's just one guy that came into the first team squad, Dale Stevens, which... I was fine with. I think we needed a bit of depth in central midfield. Um, one of the issues I had with the signing was age because our midfielders are all bit like the same age, wrong side of 30, just about. Stevens, I think it's thirty thirty one 30, 31 as well. So I was okay with him coming in to add to the squad, but then he's been injured quite a bit as well and he's not really impressed when he's played. So he's been quite disappointing and, and the other lads have all been under 23 type signings. Um, <clears throat> and I think if any of them make appearances for us in the Premier League would be a bit surprising, we seem to struggle with the pathway from under-23s to the first team the only young player we've really brought through in recent years is Dwight McNeil and he pretty much went straight from the, the kids into the, the first team so I'm not sure why we make these development squad signings because we don't seem to develop any players <laughs> but it, it sounds more positive for, for January this this takeover stuff rumbling away in the background, is was that's that going to be done sooner rather than later which is good because you obviously want that resolved before the transfer window so while I don't think we're going to be going out and spending tens of millions of pounds it sounds like there's going to be a bit more money to spend than last summer where we ended up really losing players rather than bringing them in because players like Jeff Hendrick left at the end of their contracts, Aaron Lennon, Joe Hart, guys that weren't really first teamers but added to the depth of the squad that is maybe missing a bit now.
1: Well, let's move on to talk about the tactics. Um, it seems odd to ask where Sean Dyche's Burnley are right now tactically, um, because uh, I think people generally know the way that his teams are playing. Uh, but how would you say that they are playing right now?
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't think people, I don't think Leeds fans will be surprised about the way we'll set up um, on whatever day it is. I never know what day games are around Sunday, I around think. Christmas is it Sunday? <laughs> I Absolutely think so. No
1: yeah,
3: yeah um, inevitably it'll be four four two or. You could maybe at a stretch call it 4-4-1-1 because one of the strikes will probably drop off a bit, but it's essentially 4-4-2. Um, two big lads up front. Jay Rodriguez has played a lot this season, which I think adds a bit more guile and a bit more creativity to our attack. When it's Barnes and Wood, it's pretty much two big lads that you want to hit. Um, but we weren't scoring goals with Rodriguez and the team as much as I like him, so I'm not surprised that he's gone back to Barnes for the, the Wolves game they will probably play... Um, Barnes again with Wood, since both of them scored against Wolves, it will be obviously the same. Um, I do think there's an assumption that we are very direct, which isn't always the case. Uh, whenever we lose a game, Twitter's always full of fans of the opposition going, oh God, I don't have to watch that rubbish every week. <laughs> Just kick and run. And then the stats after the Wolves game showed that they played more long balls than us, which is bizarre because everyone seems to think Wolves are one of the best footballing sides in the league. So I do think it's a narrative that is not completely false, but we are certainly direct. But I think the the sort of contrast between styles is, is what makes the Premier League. I think if everyone played the same way, it would be quite boring. Um, Dash has experimented at times. We had a bit of a an ill-fated spell playing three at the back, which didn't last very long and didn't really work. Um, so it's it's tried and tested, basically. We will try and get the ball forward quite early, win the second balls. People might think it's basic and formulaic, but the results speak out for themselves really, if you're a club like Burnley and you're surviving in the Premier League I don't think you can complain that the football's bad when results are bad then fans maybe get a bit more frustrated with it but uh, Dash has been at the club 8 years, he's probably not going to change anytime soon
1: Yeah and look, everyone who's a Leeds fan knows that the, one of the best ways of coming up against Leeds is sitting deep and going direct so uh, no shame in that whatsoever um you've you've touched on this already but i'm interested in how the fan base feel about dichi's approach because obviously in the last few days we've had endless discourse around leeds united playing a sort of hyper attacking style of play which leaves them uh, open at the back um and that being considered to be naive i wonder what it's like being on the other side of the coin staying up in or trying to stay up in the premier league through having a solid defence how do, how is it the experience of that as a fan?
3: I think there has been some times when, when, like I say, when form's bad, it's harder for people to accept that the football isn't very pretty to watch and I can accept that that's the case. Um, but when results are good, people forget about that pretty, pretty easily. Um, I The win at Manchester United, for example, I thought that was a complete team performance. Every single player was eight, nine out of ten at least. And the goals that we scored were a set piece, pumped into the box from the halfway line that was knocked down for a finish and then some interplay from a throw-in and a finish into the top corner from the edge of the box. So The goals that we score are by no means all the same. Um, we are capable of scoring good goals. I think the first goal we scored against Wolves was a very very good counter-attack. I think if a club higher up the table that has got the narrative of playing good football scored a goal like that there would be more made of it. But when has Burnley do it, it seems to be written off as a bit of a fluke um so I think there's there's a bit of a mixture I'd like to see us play more football and there's been periods where we've done it when Stephen Defoe was at the club and fit we played a lot more football on the ground um but the players we have are suited to this approach and you can say that Dash has been at the club eight years if he wanted to change it he's had time to do it but he's also working on a minuscule budget can we afford the players that are good enough to play that style? I suppose the counter argument is Leeds haven't spent that much, and Bielsa has trained them into doing it. So it shows that there are different ways of doing it. But yeah, like I say, I think the the contrast is good, and I love nothing more than us beating teams like Arsenal, who play this nothingy sideways football, <laughs> and we just go very direct and score an own goal from a corner. I think it's it's absolutely <laughs> perfect.
1: Yeah, as as we've already touched on again, if we can say anything for certainty about Dyche's approach in this game, is that he's going to use a four four two in some iteration. I'm interested in how much tactical flexibility you see within that four four two. Does Dyche set his stall out in the same way same way each week, or does he use different players and different roles in that system to to sort of get um, tactical edges?
3: It is interesting because I think Daish is first and foremost a pragmatist. Really, um, he will set the team up in the way that he thinks will give them the best chance of getting a result, which is in contrast to Leeds, really, isn't it, where they will play the same every way and just hope that their attacking is going to be better than the other team's attacking. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Dyche has any sort of special plan to, to cope with that. Um, I do think it is quite a rigid 4-4-2. Like I say, one striker will drop off every now and again. Ashley Barnes will have nothing more than coming to the halfway line and winning a cheap free kick any time he gets a touch in the back. Um, apart from that, the most you'll probably see in terms of innovation during the game is that the wingers might swap over um, but I think we might come to this but we've got a bit of a selection issue on the wings with, with some injuries so it's not really clear he's going to be playing out wide um, but I think the, you look at the squad we've got and it's obviously been built to play a 4-4-2 that's what we're used to doing um, so it would be probably silly to start trying to play something else now.
1: What do you think the weaknesses in Burnley's setup?
3: I think it asks an awful lot of our central midfielders. Pretty much everyone in the league now plays one up top and five in midfield, or some variation on that theme. So you're asking the two boys in midfield, which will be Ashley Westwood and Josh Brownell. They have to do so much work, and it means if they miss the press, if one goes and misses a challenge, then we're immediately a little bit short at the back. Luckily, we have two outstanding defender defenders as I like to call them defenders who actually like to defend rather than just pass which is a modern trend that um, gets my gut a little bit nothing more than me and Tarkovsky love nothing more than making blocks clearances, headers getting their body on the line so I think again the team is sort of set up to do that in that we will try and protect our box um I think the weaknesses in our setup are more the limitations of the players. When you try and play on the break sometimes, we don't have a lot of pace in the team, so we are playing long balls out right from the back and hoping to strike a striker wins it, but we've got to get more players up the pitch faster. I think our build-up can be a little bit um, two-dimensional at times, but it's arguable whether that's formation tactics or personnel or some combination of the three, maybe.
1: How are you feeling about the prospect of facing Leeds? Obviously, Leeds are getting talked about a lot this season because they're pretty much unlike every other team in the division, given that they mark in a man-marking system. How do you feel about the prospect of of coming up against them? Is there a bit of intrepidation, do you think, going into that?
3: I think tactically it is going to be quite interesting because, like you said, Leeds do this man-marking and with our formation being quite fixed, I'm not sure there's going to be much benefit of someone following Ashley Westwood around the pitch when he doesn't really leave the center circle unless he has to. So I'm not sure man marking Ashley Westwood's going to be much of a good idea. Um, and I also think some of the individual battles that we see will favor Burnley with the extra experience, a bit more nouse. It's probably a kind way to put it, but that little bit of um, nasty edge maybe. And James Tarkovsky is really good at this. He's ideal at getting the elbow in early. I think he'll give Patrick Bamford a bit of a going over physically, to be honest. It'll be interesting to see how Bamford responds to that. He'll obviously be up for it, having not had the happiest of times at Burnley. It's probably fair to say during his loan spell. I don't think him and Dyche had much of a a relationship. Um, So tactically, I, I do think he has the the prospects have been an interesting matchup. Like you say, Leeds have shown they can be vulnerable to direct football. Man United cut them apart time and time again, albeit with a lot more pace in their attack than we have. Um, I suppose Leeds will just have to cope with a lot more physicality, Um, long balls in the back. Obviously, Chris Wood trying to win balls again against his old team. There's a lot of little strands to this game that will be quite interesting narratively. Um, but it might well end up being one that is maybe not for the neutrals unless you're particularly interested in <laughs> how a Bielsa team plays against the Dash team.
1: Well, let's talk about the injury side of things then. How are you looking injury-wise at the moment?
3: So we were looking like we, we had players coming back and it was looking strong, but a couple of issues from the Wolves game, Robbie Brady, who has probably been on his longest run without an injury since signing for the club a few years ago, went down and I haven't heard if that's minor or a couple of weeks or more long-term, but I think we do have to be careful with Brady because he's got this history of being out for quite a while. Um, So it it remains to be seen whether he's going to be fit. Dwight McNeil also seems to be struggling in the second half and came off near the end. So it's not clear whether he's going to be fit. That would be a real blow because... He's not just our best creative player, he basically doesn't miss games. Since he first got into the team, he's played pretty much every game. I think he started 38 games last season. So he's real. He's really locked into that left wing spot. Uh, we don't really have many alternatives. Johan Gudmundsson is the other winger that we've got in the squad. And he's also been out recently, so it could be a bit of um, square pegs, round holes as our old boss Dan Turner used to say we might see a bit of Eric Peters on the wing which will be a real um, tactical masterclass against the BLC team I can't wait to see who's man-marking Eric Peters on the left
1: wing Well let's talk about the lineup on Sunday then what do you reckon it's going to be?
3: Yeah, well, It's difficult to say about the, the wide players it might be a case of just whoever's fit um, but I think the rest of the team is pretty much locked in the back five will be absolutely the same Phil Bardsley's not played much this season. He had COVID earlier on and Matt Lawton's played quite well at right back. So he's probably going to keep his place. Um, Jack Cork, I think he's still not quite ready and it'd be a surprise if he went straight back in. So he might be on the bench, hopefully, um, but it'll probably be Brown or Westwood in midfield. I'd be surprised if it wasn't Wooden Barnes up, up front since they both scored against Wolves and the partnership look like it was back to what it was last season when it was quite effective. Um, and if they're fit, it will be McNeil and Brady. But at the moment, that is a big if. Um, so like I say, it could well be Peters on, on one of the wings. And honestly, I'm not really sure what they would do on the other wing. The other <laughs> emergency option is probably start Stevens, and then Josh Brown Brownell maybe plays on the right.
1: And one of the questions I ask all of our guests is which players on your team need to perform well if you are to beat Leeds?
3: It's going to be a really big game for Ashley Barnes because mentioned earlier that one of the strikers does tend to drop back and I think that will be Barnes so I wouldn't be surprised if one of the changes Dash makes is that he asks Barnes to try and get close to Calvin Phillips because I think when Phillips has space I think he's very dangerous but when players get around him I'm not sure he's um, got the experience to really step up I I think he's a very good player and I, I like seeing him in the England squad but I think if if Barnes gets in Phillips' face, I think that could be really interesting. Um, I think Chris Wood is is very important for us as well. There's been a lot of questions asked about Wood throughout his career at Burnley, really, even though he scores 10 goals a season, pretty much guaranteed, which is pretty good for a striker at a club like Burnley that doesn't create a lot of chances. Um, But he's extremely important for our build-up play as well. And if we're going to get out and be direct and try and counter against Leeds when they commit men forward Wood's going to have to hold the ball up really well
1: and another thing I, I do every week is well another thing I don't do every week really is not ask for a prediction um feel free to give one but I'm more interested in how you think the game's going to go how do you think it will unfold on Sunday
3: I think Leeds will presumably be really up for it and trying to get a response after the Manchester United game I didn't actually see that game but by all accounts they were just um Ripped apart times and times again. That's not the sort of game that we're going to play. I think we'll try and keep it quite tight. Uh, we've been known as a second-half team. So I think the plan will be to try and get to half-time at 0-0. Then as long as the game goes on, try and maybe try and nick a goal. That tends to be our plan on the road. And it's been relatively successful. That's how we won Arsenal the other week. Um, I think we will be quite happy to let Leeds have the ball we'll sit quite deep interesting to see if leeds can break down a defense that sits on the edge of the box we've only conceded once i think in five i want to say five games with the me tarkovsky pope triangle um, so we have been very solid at the back recently but i think leeds are one of those teams that when it clicks for them it's very hard to to stop them um, even with the extra experience we've got in the Premier League. So without wanting to resort to cliches I think the first goal will be very important in this game I think if Burnley get it we'll be quite happy to sit on that lead and it'll be difficult for Leeds to break us down, if Leeds go first we will have to try and be more attacking that could leave gaps at the back and that could get ugly because I think Leeds have the potential to to run away with games but I think probably going to be quite tight, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a low scoring draw
1: well, Jamie, it's been a pleasure, as always, to chat to you. What is the best way for our followers to catch up with what you're saying about football?
3: Yeah, um, no doubt. I'll be tweeting through the, the game, probably with a hangover, on Sunday or whatever day it is. You tell me it's Sunday, I believe you. <laughs> you can get me on Twitter, at Jamie Sport.
1: Well, Jamie, thanks so much for coming on. No worries.
0: Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like, what if AI could fold your laundry?
1: so that was jamie smith a freelance journalist and burnley fan hobsey how are you feeling about burnley
2: it's a weird one isn't it because i think if we were playing them maybe two weeks ago i'd be thinking like yeah we're gonna batter these um they look absolutely awful this season uh more so than they have done in the past and the the um voodoo has, has worn off they they can't uh, continually overperform their XG against and um, and sort of just block millions of shots. <laughs> but in the last few weeks, uh, the voodoo has returned mm. and they've they've got a, got a couple of results. I think they were actually making Arsenal look good for the majority of that game the other week, and then Arsenal shot themselves in the foot uh, with another red card and Burnley scabbed an own goal, and then. Um, yeah they i watched the um burnley villa game because um you know i, I like pain um, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I was watching it for work but um yeah the um it was ridiculous that villa didn't score in that game they had they had uh, the most shots i've seen in a game that doesn't hasn't involved leeds uh, this this season mm. um and yeah they didn't look good but they they sort of magically kept a clean sheet as, as they have done in the past. So
1: mm.
2: it's a funny one because it, I think this will feel like a game from last season.
1: What do you mean by that?
2: As in it's not going to be like one of, the, one of these crazy open games that we uh, have seen when we've played uh, mm. one of the sort of better teams uh, in the league. Um, I don't even think we'll get the space that we had against Newcastle because Newcastle didn't and they didn't play as much of a low block as I maybe thought they might have done we had some space to run through in midfield i'm not really sure that we're going to see that uh, yeah. i think this is going to be us having a lot of the ball um, and yeah them defending a lot and the the obvious strengths that they have are are our, <laughs> one of our big weaknesses so yeah we'll um, I know we're going to go into that more as we go through this conversation.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I was looking back through the results and you look at the teams that they've lost to and they lost to Leicester and you kind of think, well, Leicester are up there this season, they lost to Southampton and you think, well, yeah, you know, Southampton are up there this season as well. Newcastle is maybe a bit of an outlier, but then it's Spurs that they lost to, Chelsea they lost to, City they lost to, and that's the teams they've lost to. And you look at that list and you think, well you probably wouldn't expect Burnley to win those games anyway. I mean, apart from maybe the Newcastle one. So I do think that there's an extent to which we're probably undervaluing Burnley on the basis of the fact that they've had quite a tough run to start the season off.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's fair. Um But I, I think they also just, I think they looked worse in, in doing that. Um However, yeah. I mean, like I, I'm not, I, I don't think I've, I'm not like worried about this game. Um I think, we're going, to, I expect us to dominate and in games that I expect us to dominate, you have to make us favourites. Mm. Doesn't mean it will go perfectly and mm. we could get unlucky, but I think we are more likely to win this game than they are.
1: It'd be nice to dominate as well, because I think we've talked a lot about defencing badly this in the, in the last few games. And uh, if the problem has been that we haven't been able to dominate in those games, and it means that our defence is then put under a huge amount of pressure. And so this should be a game where we, if we do dominate possession and hold onto the ball, then yes, obviously they're going to go direct when they can, but we're going to have to do a lot less defending than we've had to do against EG, Man United or Chelsea, etc.
2: Yeah, and I think, I think if we do, uh, like we are going to give the ball away like we just are that happens in football games but we're not i I don't see burnley as being a team that are going to fly through the midfield and punish us in in Mm. the way that some of the other teams did like west ham actually had weapons to do that uh, and they they got ben rama in the game as much as they could and Mm. i just just, who who's going to do that for for burnley i think i'm dwight mcneil is a good young player, although I'm not fully convinced by him. I think he he looks better because he's he's like the only technical player in in a a very non technical team. But mm. yeah, I don't think they've got the weapons to really really harm us on the counter. Uh, famous last words, I'm sure, but I'm pretty confident about. Him.
1: And they've got huge problems in wide areas as well, just in terms of fitness at the moment. So I guess again that that will stand in our favour. Um, we know that they're going to play four four two or maybe four four one one, as Jamie said, um which probably means some sort of iteration of a three three one three we 're not seeing that very much this season. How do you feel about that
2: yeah I'm trying to think about what how what that would actually look like in terms of the lineup so I guess we do, we don't know at the moment is is Cooper fit or not like once he came off, so are we going to see are we' going to see Pascal Strouut in center back uh or is Cooper gonna be there? either way, if we play a three three one three, I think we see Calvin playing central centre back, which we've not seen for quite a long time, because last season Ben White would take on the central centre back role and then we and we'd have Cooper on the left and we'd have Ayling on the right and Calvin would stay in midfield. Mm. Um but this this is more like what when we saw the three three one three in Bielsa's first season where it would tend to be Calvin dropping back. So then does that mean that the midfield is click just on his own and then Rodrigo is the one, which (laughs) I I mean, I think in, in any other game I'd find that quite terrifying. But in this game, I think that might be okay.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one as well, not to mention the fact that when we have played 3-3-1-3 this season, I've really not been impressed with Dallas and Alyoski in the wing-back positions as well. I mean, I think with Dallas, that's probably fine if he plays in that inverted role, which, you know, he does. and Better
2: when he's on the left in the 3-3-1-3.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, in terms of personnel, we like you say, there is there is a bit of an issue with what that back line will look like. If Cooper's injured, you could go with Strouk on the left. You could go with Leif Davis on the left, I suppose, if you'll be Elsa, which and neither of us we are have, have particularly up on. But um, it's it's one of those things where I think... I'm just trying to think, what was the who were the other team that we played 3-3-1-3 against? Who plays 4-4-2? Um, I thought we might see it against Newcastle. They played sort of 4-4-1-1, and it meant that Calvin Phillips started off sort of dropping between the, the centre-backs, but because Joe Linton... Yeah, Joel Linton was playing quite deep in that, so it almost became like a four-two-three-one. We've played
2: the three-five-two more than yeah, yeah. played the 3 But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really know what what I think about that. I mean, it, it, yeah, I think I, I feel less nervous about it in this game in terms yeah. of yeah. our midfield structure than I than I would do uh, normally. But I, I think I would prefer if we actually had three proper, like if we had. Uh, if we had Cock, Ailing, Cooper as the three at the back I'd feel better. Yeah. And then we had KP in midfield and Cleek and in in, mid, in midfield and then probably you'd have Rodrigo on the bench in this game. Mm. But I don't know. That, that's a challenging one.
1: In terms of what worries you about Burnley in particular, I know you're going to say set-pieces because you've said set-pieces for the last few games as being your big worry but do you think Burnley are going to be particularly dangerous in that respect?
2: Well I mean yeah, they've got a lot of just I think Tom said this in the in the most recent pod where you where you said uh it was a talking about the um talking about how you build a squad and stuff and he's he's saying, you know, Burnley have built a squad of the best big bastards and and that's what they that's what they they have. They've they've got um <clears throat> Ashley Barnes who is not he's not particularly tall but he's incredibly physical. Um really aggressive at, at any set pieces um and chris wood we we all know about uh, tarkovsky he's great in the air ben me good in the air i mean their their entire team is going to have an advantage over <laughs> over ours uh, from set pieces It's kind of the worst mismatch uh, and then particularly if we do, if we do have cooper out then that's our our best header of the ball not there um so yeah that's a bit terrifying to be honest but i think mitigated by if we do dominate this game then hopefully they don't get very many set pieces in dangerous areas that's because i mean that's in the championship i'm sure that set pieces would have been i mean they were a problem for us but but the more and more we dominated games it just kind of didn't matter that much because teams would only get a couple of them in a game um, although it does feel at the moment we're just on a run where it feels like every single one leads to a chance on goal. Um, so yeah, I think it would be really nice to keep a <laughs> to keep a clean sheet and not concede from set pieces. But let's see. Oh yeah, I can't I can't say I'm not scared about that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it seems as though attack is going to be the best form of defence for for Leeds on on Sunday. In which case, who are the players who we need to see good performances from if we're going to get something out of this game?
2: Rafinha and Rodrigo, I think. I think they're key. Um, I think they're players with guile. Uh, and if we're playing, if we are playing against uh, a low block, a set four four two, which I think we we fully expect to, uh, we don't just want to be passing it side to side and just bombing in a load of crosses because they're they're defence are going to deal with that really easily I think. Um, so I think we need Rafinha and Rodrigo to to move them a, around a little bit, create spaces uh, and I think they've also they're the two that I would say have the quality with with the pass uh, to set up a big chance for someone. Um, I'm expecting a good performance from, from Bamford. I think he's going to be really up for it in this game as Jamie obviously mentioned in in the interview he alluded he alluded to the fact that um, that Bamford had a bad experience at Burnley, which I think we all know about. Sean Dyche sort of writing him off, um, but also there was something that Jamie said that I thought was interesting. He he said he thought that um, that Tarkovsky and me would would bully Bamford, and I think I think they will try to do that, and I think that would have been really effective uh, in. Bamford's first season at Leeds, I think he he sort of he sort of shied away from those duels in the first season, but I think last year he he sort of begun to relish those games. Um, and I particularly think of of him going up against uh, a J and um, and Kyle Bartley in the home game against West Brom, and I think he had put in the best performance I've seen from him in terms of all-round centre forward play, like dominating centre halves and physically um yeah get like engaging in lots of duels with them running in the channels. He just gave them such a tough game. It was a shame that he didn't score. But I, I sort of thought that was his his best performance as a as a like a, a man leading the line. And I'd love to see him do something like that. I don't think the space will be there that there was in that game for him to sort of run in the channels. But uh engaging in all those duels, I think he's gonna be really, really keyed up for this one, and um, yeah, I, I think he. It, we know in these games, he always gets a big chance. Uh, the the question is just going to be, can he put it away? Because I would say that low block situations are where he tends to um, maybe rush his finish, uh, which is what I what I mentioned before um, in the article that I don't ever talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that. That's something that um, that I think is where he finishes badly because he rushes uh, and he's got lots of pressure from players around him. So we need to see clinical Bamford in, in this game.
1: So what you're saying is that Sean Dyche is Pat Bamford's white whale, I <laughs> a, which I think is probably a fitting analogy. But obviously we always talk about how we expect the game to unfold on Sunday. Um, you've mentioned this already. It's going to be a, a game like... We saw a lot of last season, so presumably Leeds dominating, trying to break down a, a, a fairly stubborn uh, low block and uh, making sure that they don't get caught on the counter-attack.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's one of those where, obviously, we had two games recently where we where we scored first uh, and lost, and that was Chelsea and that was West Ham. Uh, but I, do, I really think if we score early in, in this game, I, I do not see... Burnley coming back into it because i think they would not be equipped to open up against us if they did then we would kill them um so yeah i think i think if we can nick a, a goal early on uh, then it, it could be a fun one otherwise uh, strap in for some uh, some frustration and just <laughs> hope that we can get get a lead before the end of the game and hold yeah. on to it
1: so let's move on then to to talk about the West Brom game. Again, this week I was lucky enough to talk to Grant Harrison, who is a West Brom fan, uh, and this is what he had to say about the baggies. So Grant, hi, how are you doing?
4: Not too bad, John. Thank you. How are you, mate?
1: Yeah, good. Uh, it's been a, an interesting few days for Leeds United and I guess an interesting few weeks for West Bromwich Albion, so plenty to talk about, I suspect.
4: Yeah, most definitely.
1: Well, let's start off at the very beginning, because I think it's hard to talk about West Brom's season so far without really talking about the sacking of Slav and Bilic. So what's your take on the Bilic firing?
4: Yeah, you say it's quite hard to talk about the West Brom season without mentioning uh, without mentioning Bilic. I think the Bilic issue kind of goes back to um, to everything that happened post-lockdown. I mean, obviously it's wonderful that Bilic managed to take, take West Brom up when he did, I mean when he joined the club he was given two years to do it. So the fact that he did it one year ahead of schedule, um, you know, it's a great feather in his cap. But if you look at how West Brom limped over the finish line last season, um, this has been on the cards for a while. And I think you could you can justify the struggles in the Premier League. We'll I'm sure we'll get onto um the composition of the Albion squad a little bit later on. But um if you look at how last season finished, I think there's been a, a bit of a malaise at the club that Billich hasn't really shown that he's the man to be able to turn it around.
1: So, from what you're saying, it sounds like a lot of this is to do with backroom politicking. But do you think the results on top of that justified getting rid of Billich?
4: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, Billich is a great guy. I mean, it's been, as a fan, it's been wonderful to have somebody like him be, you know, the public face of the club, particularly when we've got an ownership group um, and a chairman that are pretty absent from the public eye. So, from a you know, at a human level, Bilic has been wonderful, but the results have been poor. And as you say, backroom politicking has definitely had something to do with it. I mean, there's been a, a fair bit in the press in the last few days about the tensions that have been present at the club pretty much since Bilic joined. I mean, recruitment was a big issue for him. And I think the way the club does things, and it's something that they've done historically, it takes a while to get a player to, to join West Brom with them pushing for you know the cheapest possible deal and in fairness to them with a club with limited means like they have i think it's it's a justifiable way of going about things but there has been tension pretty much through the whole billet reign, really so you combine that with the poor results and i think it it is justified really
1: did you think it was quite limited tactically then
4: i would say post lockdown most definitely i think early on in his tenure he was he was quite willing to change things around and um you know experiment with a squad that was just coming together i mean the summer that Bilic joined West Brom, I think there was a lot of transfer activity, and fresh off um, the end of the Darren Moore era, there was still a lot of reshaping to be done to the team, um, and he he was willing to experiment, playing um, starting off with of a 4-3-3 with Matheus Pereira sort of creating things out from the right and Deanne Garner opposite him, um, but that that was quickly quite that was quickly found out in the Championship. with teams sort of clamping down on Pereira, so they shifted him into a number ten role, and that worked worked well, but Post-lockdown, I think there was a, a really rigid way of playing, to be honest, in the championship, you know, trying to rely on Pereira to create everything. And Bilic never really, really, you know, adapted. And I think they were quite blunt at the top of the pitch as well, playing Charlie Austin, Hal robson Carney players like that, when I think there were other options in the club, particularly Callum Robinson, who played up top in the past, that I think if Bilic was a bit open to a different profile of player, I think promotion could have been had a little bit easier than it was in the end. Um this season tactically he has adapted but i think it's all been quite negative which is probably a trend that may continue under the uh, the new appointment
1: <laughs> yeah i guess uh, uh, maybe the other way of asking the same question is where would you rank the squad player for player relative to the league and do you think a managerial change could have made that much difference to to your final position in the league
4: i think that's a really interesting one because i would i think on paper you'd look at that squad and you'd say yep that's a team that's going to going to struggle in the premier league this year but for me, one of the key things is that the level of performances just haven't been there. Um, we've seen these players. I mean, if I, I don't know if um, you guys will have watched the Albion Villa game last night, I can't imagine it have been, been a massive one on the neutrals <laughs> list. Um, but you look at players like Grady Diangana, who you'll have seen light up the championship last year, really fresh, vibrant player right. that had loads of confidence taking players on. Whereas this season, and he's just one of a number of players, they've just, they've just looked bereft of confidence. And, um, I don't know if it's a little bit old-fashioned to hopefully look for a new manager bounce that will try and instill a little bit of belief in the uh, in the guys. But I, I think a, a change was needed. And from the club's perspective, there's a lot of rumour out there at the moment that um, the ownership group is looking to sell the club. So I think a short-term appointment like Allardyce, who's got a history of doing these kind of rescue jobs, I can see how that's appealed to them.
1: So in the end, as you've said, it was Allardyce who was appointed. How are you feeling about that at this point in time? From my perspective, I'm probably
4: a bit of a football romantic, so I'd have liked to have seen them go with somebody, um, you know, with a bit of a long-term aim in mind. But I can completely see from the club's point of view why they've gone for somebody like Allardyce. And I think if you treat this as a job till the end of the season, I, I you know, I'm pretty supportive of it, but I think if you look... if if they if he keeps them up, he'd probably look at moving on again in the summer, despite the eighteen month contract.
1: Let's talk before we get into the tactical side of things about your summer transfer business, because there was quite a bit of activity at West Brom um, coming up this season. So, how pleased were you with your transfer business this summer?
4: Yeah, I, I was relatively pleased to be honest. I mean, if you look at a lot of the names that were bought in, there were quite a lot of um, there was quite a lot of money spent on just retaining the squad that we had last year: Pereira, Diangana, and Robinson. Um, they're all permanent signings to the Albion now, so even if the club is in is in the championship again this time next year, they'll have assets that they didn't have before and I think they struck very good value deals for Pereira, for Diangana and for Robinson, I mean, being able to swap Oliver Burke for, you know, any any footballer really, particularly one such as Robinson, who did well for us last season, I think was a, a really good bit of business from the club. Carl um, and Brent obviously has a lot of pedigree at in the championship and did well in his brief spell in the top flight with Huddersfield so for a club such as West Brom that you know have a, have a pretty limited budget I think they did they did pretty well I think there's still gaps in the squad but it's hard to solve all those uh, issues in one summer
1: Let's talk a, a little bit about the tactics then behind Allardyce obviously it's difficult to say at this point but what did you make of the tactics from yesterday's game did you get any sense of what is to be expected from Allardyce? I, I think
4: Sam Allard has a way of playing football that I think is quite well established now. He's going to make his team difficult to beat. they try and maximise things from set pieces. Um, he took his first training session with the club on Thursday, so I think there's a limit to how much he would have been able to impart on the players in that short space of time. And I think whatever he had got planned probably was thrown out the window and Jake Livermore, the man who had given the captain's armband to, you know, committed a reckless challenge and put the Albion down to 10 men after half an hour or so. Um, I think what you can draw from it, um, the Albion sort of kept in it until about the 75th minute. They were very, very deep, didn't create anything at all, but I think they just wanted to stay in the game. Um, they looked to have a couple of counter attacks post that 75th minute that looked, you know, vaguely promising. I mean, I think if you look at the XG, I think it's the lowest any team has created in the Premier League so far this season um, in a single game. I don't know there's any real notable chances, but... I think the focus will very much be on making West Brom hard to beat. They've considered the most goals in the Premier League so far and they've they've wilted in certain games. So I think that will be the focus from Allardyce and I think he's come out and said today in the press that it doesn't look like a team that's good enough to play out and, you know, be expansive in the way they play. So I think it'll be a sort of back to basics approach, really.
1: And it seems as though Allardyce stuck to the same setup as Bilic, Um the, the same setup anyway that he used in the Manchester City game that led to his sacking. But do you think Allardyce is going to rip up the textbook at all, or do you think he's just going to take that basic blueprint and tweak things and see if he can change things that way?
4: Personally, I think they'll probably go with that, that sort of same style of formation, that 4 2 3 1, 4 5 1 kind of, um, kind of setup that Bilic employed against Man City. Um, and Alardas employed yesterday. I mean, they've experimented with three at the back so far this season. Didn't really seem to make them any more solid. Um, I'd say the only person that it really benefited was Branislav Ivanovic being able to play in the middle of a back three um, and not exposing his lack of legs. But I'd imagine it'll be a five-man midfield. Hope that um, there'll be some joy out wide with Diangana and um, and Phillips down the wings. But I think the one interesting thing to look out for will be how Aladár deploys Pereira. Um, whether he, you know, does try and free him up in a number ten role, or he tries to fit him into the system that he used yesterday.
1: Do you think he'll use the same setup against Leeds?
4: I would imagine so. Um, I imagine he probably doesn't want to give Leeds much space to um, to counter into. Um, I think the thing that sort of stuck out to me in the past couple of seasons watching West Brom versus Leeds games, um, there's a lot more athleticism in that Leeds side, um, and I think. It's still very much the case with the improvements that Leeds made to their squad over the summer and West Bram still being, you know, a pretty similar squad to what we had in the championship last year. So, yeah, I'd imagine it'll be quite a, quite a deep set up. Um, try and get something from a set piece, score early, and then shut up shop.
1: Uh, Leeds are a team that you've faced a lot in the last few seasons. How do you feel about this matchup now? We're both in the Premier League. Do you think that there's going to be a certain amount of upside in having played against that man marking system, in particular in the last few seasons?
4: I mean, if you'd have asked me this a couple of weeks ago when Billich was still in charge, I think, yeah, definitely. I think the matchup at Ellen Road early last season, one of the well, probably one of the most enjoyable losses I've ever seen West Brom have. It was a really good end to end matchup up at Ellen Road. Um, with Allardyce. I think he's. I think he's quite a prescriptive man, as I've said. So I think. He, I think, irrespective of you know the games that we've had the last couple of seasons, I think he's going to do his thing, that he's. Um, he's been brought in to do, and um, yeah, I think, it'd be nice that he, if he could lean on a few senior figures within the club and glean some of the, uh, some of the info that we've got the past couple of years, but mm,
1: it's a tricky one. How are you looking injury wise at the moment?
4: I mean, I'd like to say that West Brom have loads of injuries and that's why we're struggling as much as we are. But it's, it's a pretty full strength squad, to be honest. I mean, not an injury, but Pereira's back from suspension. Um, he's just had three games off. So it would be interesting to see how he's looking fitness-wise, hopefully come back fresh. Um, but no, I think health-wise, everyone's, uh, everyone's looking good, really.
1: I haven't uh, mentioned this, but your next game, there is a game between when we're talking and the Leeds game, which is against Liverpool. How are you feeling about that as a, as a <laughs> warm-up for the Leeds game?
4: Well, I think I think when I started watching West Brom sort of mid-2000s, actually going up for the games and stuff like that, we had a few Boxing Day Christmas fixtures against Liverpool, and I think they were always about 4 or 5 nil to Liverpool. <laughs> I'm slightly fearful that we may be on the end of another one of those. I mean, it's a slightly different Liverpool team. I remember Florence-Cinema-Pongol scoring there, scoring a couple against us at the Hawthorne. So at least it's a, a championship-winning Liverpool side that are probably looking at tearing us <laughs> apart over the festive period. <laughs>
1: um, so with that in mind, given that, that there is a match day between uh, our game, how do you think that you're going to line up on Tuesday?
4: I think you'll probably see quite a similar line-up to what was put forward against uh, against Aston Villa. I think there'll probably be some rotation for that Liverpool game. Um, I think it'll be a nice opportunity for Allardyce to to see a few players that potentially haven't, haven't featured as much in Debilic. And obviously he'll have to figure out how to set up that central midfield area, which has been a, a pretty, pretty sore point for West Brom in the Premier League um, without Jake Livermore. So I think that will be, that will be quite interesting. So I think you'll probably see Pereira coming to the side against Leeds and potentially Filip Kravinovic. Um That does, does leave a little bit of, still missing from that midfield area. So I think that the Livermore suspension will be a really interesting one to see how Allardyce navigates that situation.
1: So one of the questions that I ask all of our guests is how you, which players you need to perform well in order to beat Leeds. So who are the players that you're looking for for a performance to, to take Leeds down?
4: I think if we're looking to get all three points, you're going to need Matthias Pereira to be on form. Um, he's been the most creative player that we've got this season and last in all fairness. Um, and without him, we've looked looked very blunt. I mean, we weren't exactly firing, on also there's even when he was in the side. But with um, with Carl and Grant up front, you really need somebody feeding him, you know, passes in behind the defence that he can get onto and hopefully bag a few goals. So uh, Pereira and um, whoever comes in to replace Livermore, really, I think it's a big job in the middle of the park trying to trying to keep a bit of control over the game.
1: And another thing that I don't do is ask for predictions. You're welcome to give one if you want, but I'm more interested in how you think the game will go. How do you expect the the flow of the game to go?
4: Um, I I would expect Leeds to control the game, um, probably dominate possession. Um, I'd imagine Alvin will sit in quite deep and try and frustrate. I would expect a Leeds win, but I think Allardyce is going to have to make progress quickly. It's a tricky time of year to come into a club. with game's coming thick and fast, so I think by his third game in charge, he'd You'd expect to see a, you know, a little bit of the traditional Allardyce um, style of play, and hopefully be a bit trickier to beat than we have been so far.
1: Well, Grant, it's been a pleasure talking to you as always. I wonder what's the best way for our listeners to to follow your stuff on West Brom.
4: Um, you'll see me sort of tweeting on match days, so it's Grant Harrison 91. It's um, not the most optimistic timeline at the moment, but <laughs> there's just some occasional nuggets of uh, good info there. So give me a follow if you do, if you want to see a bit more about West Brom on there.
1: Well, thanks very much for chatting, Grant.
4: No, thanks to you. Thanks as well, John. You have a good Christmas.
1: So that was Grant Harrison, a West Brom fan. It's weird, isn't it? It feels as though West Brom and Burnley are sort of similar-ish teams to me. Well maybe that's not. Maybe that's not fair. But do you get the sense that it's going to? It's It's weird that these two games have fallen over Christmas.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I guess. Yeah, they they are. I think they'll they'll play out fairly similarly. However, I think. Um, think it's a little bit harsh on burnley to compare the two because west brom are actually awful like they are awful um burnley are, are not good going forwards um but they they're not they're not the level of west brom who have they've got the worst xg difference in the league so west brom have got the worst xg for and the second worst xg against we we have the worst XG against, which is it's not so good. However, we have the second highest XG for only behind Liverpool. So that means that we're in the middle of the we're mid table for XG difference, whereas they are way bottom.
1: Minus one point two seven XG per game, which is not good. That means on average you're losing every game one point two seven nil.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I don't I don't see allardyce making making the difference to that i don't, I don't see it. like they're they're so far behind i don't see him him changing that and also the other thing that jamie said that I'm sorry this is grant other thing that grant said that i um picked up on was he talked about them being poor after lockdown uh in the championship which i i think was a bit generous because i think they were poor for a lot of the season in, in reality i know that sounds weird because they came up in second but we I remember us talking on loads of pods saying that they, they'd hugely overperformed their XG. Um, Pereira and Diangana basically pinging long shots in, and Aji and Bartley scoring headers from corners, mm. which are always low value chances. And then, um, I mean, we called it all season that they would regress, and they hugely regressed, and they only got away with it because Brentford choked. Mm. Like, um, so it's, it's no surprise to me at all to see them doing badly because I don't, I don't think they were good enough to come up in the first place
1: so let's talk a little we've, we've already mentioned sam allardyce obviously it's hard really to judge what's going to happen in this game for that reason particularly tactically from what i saw the, the allardyce is basically just taking the team that that drew against man city and and tried to I, I guess just replicated the system um and I, I i suppose he will make tweaks here and there but what do you make of the the allardyce thing you've said you don't think he's going to turn it around but what do you think they'll do in the sort of medium term
2: well i mean i expect him to do what he what he does which is try to make them a very disciplined defensive team with a with sort of two banks of four uh and try to win second balls and go direct and uh, and try to score goals from set pieces and i think they they can score goals from set pieces like as i already mentioned at j.i uh doing that last season and uh, I think I can't remember if he's got a couple this year or not, but he's always a threat. He's really, uh, really good in the air, um, good leap, and I, I think I think he'll he'll probably become their, their most <laughs> dangerous attacking threat. I think Carlon Grant, um, not Carlon, Carlon Grant.
1: You're getting your carpenters and grants mixed up, mate. Right?
2: <laughs> yeah, but he's a. I like I like Grant. I think he's a, he's a good player, and I think he has the physical attributes um, that I think Allardyce will will like and, and I think he'll try to use him as a bit of a battering ram type forward although I think that sells him short in terms of his his technical ability. I think he's better than than to be used that way but I expect that's what Allardyce will try. Um, I think I, I noticed Grant talking about uh, Pereira in getting him back but I was sort of thinking to myself do I see Aladice really using Pereira? Because I, I don't think I do. I think D'Angana, uh he he can use as like a classic winger, but I don't like Pereira's a, a bit of a luxury.
1: Unless he uses him as a second striker, I guess. But
2: even still, I think that's the only option that he's got. But even if he uses him as a second striker, I think that that still involves quite a bit of uh, defensive shape work and pressing and i don't i just don't see that uh from from pereira uh, i think he 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 either drifted from the right or he played as a 10 and i, I don't think he's going to want someone from the right being narrow and i don't think he's going to want a 10 so I, I sort of think they can't fit their best creative player in the team now
1: do you think he could do a sort of roy hodgson and uh, with with zaha slash Eze and and sort of play, but surely that's just he's just going to be playing the same role as Dean Garner anyway, and probably Dean you would prefer for that.
2: I also think Hodgson's a bit Hodgson's a bit more tactically flexible.
1: Well, Hodgson's a, a good manager.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> not so for the England national team, but or <laughs> Liverpool, but but I think yeah, Hodg- Hodgson's done lots of interesting things through his career. And was, I mean, Allardyce was interesting at Bolton. But I feel like he's not been interesting for a long time. Not, not when he's become survival specialist at the dice. He sort of has a plug-and-play tactic that he just brings that to
1: wherever he goes. With the excuse that, well, I'm just part-time filling in the gap, and so it doesn't matter so much, right? Yeah. Let's talk about the, the structure then, because I think in the last game they played 4-1, 4-1, which means that we all play 4-2, 3-1, which means we'll see Dallas in midfield. So uh, how are you feeling about that prospect?
2: Yeah, I was, I was trying to work out what this would actually look like with our current players that we've got available. So if if we have Cooper, that means Shackleton coming in at right back.
1: Yes, yeah, I suppose. Ailing
2: and Cooper, and then Alioski left left back, and then it's Dallas and KP, and yeah. then it's Cleek in front, and then there's no space for Rodrigo.
1: I'm just trying to think of uh, who we've played. We have played some iteration of this formation, the four-two-three-one. Uh, before. I'm just trying to think who it was against. Uh, I'll look that up. But we definitely have played um, Dallas as a, basically as an inner double pivot alongside Calvin Phillips um, this season. So I can see that happening. And to be honest with you, given the way that we've been so open in the last few games, I wouldn't be averse to the idea of just having a bit more of a. <laughs> Maybe it was a Chelsea game. Would it have been the Chelsea game with Kante sitting deep and then they're two eights? So we had. Yeah, that, that might be right, actually. Calvin Phillips and, and Dallas marking Mason Mount and Kai Havertz. I think that must be what I'm thinking of.
2: Yeah, and we had because we did have Ailing was right back in that game because Urente was centre back.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: But yeah, I th- I think um uh, I would I think before Rafinha came I would have maybe I'd have some questions about the creativity in the midfield uh, with with that setup. But I think he he can create lots from drifting in from the right. I, I, that's whats something that I really like about him. that he can drift in, but he can also do classic wing play as well. Um, I mean also, I mean maybe I'm selling click short as well because I think in that period of time where Rodrigo was out of the team, he was actually playing really really well a bit further forward. In fact, I think he was playing so well that I think he's forgotten that he's not doing that role anymore (laughs) and he's Mm. he's still trying to do that uh, which is leaving us a bit too open so yeah like it could be interesting to see us like that although however i don't like fully see it as a game where i think i want dallas in in midfield because i think he it might slow us down and we might be a bit ponderous and i don't think it's a game to be ponderous in Mm. possession because that will just play into their hands because yep. they can just get them, themselves set defensively all the time, whereas I think Rodrigo, he's so sharp uh, in the way that he turns with the ball and so yeah. uh, aggressive with his passing. Yes, it, it leads to turning over the ball quite a lot, but it also means that we we break lines that we wouldn't break uh, without him there.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's true, and I, I think I'm maybe starting to get Stockholm syndrome with Dallas a bit because. Just because we have so little in the midfield area, that the actually the idea of playing Dallas in midfield doesn't bother me so much now as it did before. Because you know, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe even even when I'm saying this, I'm disagreeing with myself. But I
2: think I think what I'd really like to do is just say, well, Dallas can stay at right back, and Shackleton can go into midfield. And yeah. this is a kind of game where Shackleton's on ball uh, stuff, uh, his on ball ability, uh, will come to the fore. Um, it's when we we have a lot of defend, defending to do through the midfield that we sometimes decide that we want Dallas there instead of Shackleton. Whereas I think if we are dominating the ball, we, we might think Shackleton's yeah. the one to go for.
1: Well, Dallas was perfectly adequate as a right-back in the championship, right? In terms of the build-up play. So so. This is
2: like we're playing a championship team.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. So... um if we go from there to talk about the players that we need good performances from would you would you change that for this, for this game
2: i mm, i think i I'd, I'd still it's still similar in the sense of we need that guile but yeah maybe uh, if if this is one where we are playing a 4231 uh, then whoever is in in that two we we need a good performance from them because it's a slightly different setup mm. um particularly if it's dallas um i th- i think yeah, we've we've made our feelings known about him in midfield a lot of times, um, but but it's not to say that he's never had good performances there because yeah. he he has. So um, I just have preferences for other people there. But um, yeah, I, I, as I mentioned before, I think Bamford's like really strong centre forward performances came against West Brom, the home game. which I mentioned already and then the away game where we started in Ketia and looked frankly terrible Uh, and then Bamford came on at half time and suddenly we were like on top in the game Mm. and he gave us an outlet and um, so again Bamford but I I think I I expect good performances from Bamford in every game at the moment because he's just He's just really on it.
1: It's funny, isn't it? Because I feel like we brought in players like Rodrigo and Rafinha to overcome weaknesses we had last season in the Championship. So in many respects, like these two games, I do feel as though these are the, the moments for Rodrigo and Rafinha to really shine because we've just not really seen many games like this with both of them starting, right? We, I guess you might, you might want that from a team, like a team against... Um, Sorry, against a team like um, Sheffield United, for example, but we didn't play both of those from the off. I don't think in that game. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so it's. I think you know these two games are the games where you want those two players to make the difference because that's the difference they've been brought in to make, and um, um, it will make a. It will. It, it. Yeah, only time will tell, but hopefully we'll see good performances from them. And these these two games would should be comfortable-ish. And I think again, this is something I've talked about when we, when you're talking about everyone has. Manchester United in the back of their mind and Chelsea in the back of their mind. Because I think when, as we've talked about before, when the, one, when the one-to-one marking system breaks down because you're playing against players or teams with players who are better at one-to-one, um, you you start doubting the functionality of the team. And all it takes is for us to play a couple of games against teams where we aren't going to be worse off one for one we are we are going to be able to maintain possession of the ball a little bit better and hopefully we will we will look as dominant as we did in, in the championship as well so it should be interesting watching the games from that perspective as well but with that in mind then um, how do you expect the game to unfold on, on the Tuesday against West Brom
2: I think I expect it to be I think I expect this one to be more comfortable of the two just because I think West Brom are that bad and I think um yeah i think it will play out in a similar way although uh they've maybe got some more players that could hurt us like i mentioned dian mm. um he could be a, a good um outlet for them on, on the break if they can if they can play direct balls to him to run in behind uh, then that, that's a way that they could they could damage us but I, yeah I, I think i see these two playing out fairly similarly um with their them maybe Playing for set pieces, really, just trying to get the ball into wide areas and look to buy fouls. I think. I think both teams will try that, um, and it's it's on us to not fall into those
1: traps. So there we have it, and all stats on we previews of the the West Brom game and the Burnley game as well. We're going to take a break over the next week, I think. So we won't we won't be back until after those games and we'll do a bit of a review some point in the week before New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. So we'll see you back then. If you like our stuff and you miss us and you want to see more of our stuff, then you can head over to our Patreon channel and find more bonus uh, material, which only is available to our patrons. If you like the idea of that, then head over to www.patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? Um, and with that, I think this is pretty much. I mean, it's, it feels like the end of the uh, the year, Josh. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure this year.
2: Yes, mate, loved mm. loved it.
1: Happy Christmas to everyone who's listening, and we'll be back soon enough.
2: Merry Christmas.